You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. During the transference of the head on the new body, the head will be cooled to 10 degrees Celsius and will be bloodless. It will be as dead as it gets, clinically gone. Now, I expect that upon reawakening, the subjects will report a full-blown near-death experience. When this happens, we will have final proof that once you die, once the brain dies, consciousness survives. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones, some monster party. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me today is my dear friend, an inventor of the popular children's game Hide and Go Hunch, (laughs) Samantha. Say something disturbing, Samantha. Life extension. Life extension. When you hear the phrase (laughs) life extension, honk your horn. Samantha is not the only person here with me today. There's a couple of guys creeping around in the room. On loan from the Fringe Radio Network's Earth Oddity Podcast. (laughs) That's That's right. Christopher, Tiny Sullivan, and John Long. How's everybody doing? Yes, thanks for having us on. Uh, Yes, thank you. Arousing (laughs) applause. Yes, thank you very much. Earth Earth Oddity, I I know I've told you, Tiny Sullivan, it's one of my favorite podcasts. Like, since I found out about it, I honestly have not missed an episode since then. Bless your heart. (laughs) That is uh, truly an honor because I feel like y'all's show is... It sounds better, so much better than ours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely is, sounds way better than ours. That is high praise. <laughs> that, and that's so not anything against you, Tiny, by the way. <laughs> There's no rift between me and Tiny and his pro- production skills. But when you're working with me, it's tough to make it sound good, so... For the, you know, just handful of people out there that have never heard Earth Oddity... Uh, Tell us what it's about. It is a show where we talk about odd news, and we also, well, I guess that's, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty much just we it's find odd news. F- what I consider to be funny and odd news mm-hmm. stories, talk about them, discuss them. I share some embarrassing details from my personal life, and um, we move on. You know, it's, it goes on every week, and it's pretty fun. We are the number one podcast in New Zealand. Uh, as far as the numbers I've seen. Um, and we're climbing the charts in America. So sooner or later, we'll be number one here. Once we capture all of the Where's the Line listeners. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All uh, 12 or so. Yeah. You could, you could absolutely. That would double your, our audience. You could expect your numbers to go up by oh, yeah. five. They're great. That would be a huge, that would be a 5% this. jump for us. Yes. It could yes. happen. I think so. Happen. That would be awesome. <laughs> hey. Thank you, too, for being here tonight. Thank you so again so much for having us. It's a real honor. Inspired by Earth Oddity, we're, we've decided that we're going to try to keep a schedule from now on. We're not just going to record an episode and put it out whenever the hell we feel like no it. No more willy-nilly. No more willy-nilly. From now on, 
Whereas the line will drop on the 13th of every month. Oh. Wow. I look forward to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll schedule that on my calendar. <laughs> You're going to schedule your first full listening of an episode of Where is the Line That's on right. your calendar. Well, like I said. John's a little squeamish. I'm a little, I got a very, you know, tender stomach, so. It's big, but it's tender, so I've reached my line several times listening to episodes, and I've had to go, hey, guys, this is I'm right here. This is where I can't listen. So. The one that got me was, and I finished the episode because I'm a real man and I'm tough, <laughs> yes. but bisected penises, that, that nearly got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, all right, so are we ready to get into this episode? Yes. I am. Let's do it. Is it me? I hope it's not me. No, no, it's me. I do this every time. It's Kevin. Yeah. I feel totally great. You're probably stoned. Don't say that. No. Yeah, if you say no and then start giggling, you're totally stoned. That's right. (laughs) Dead giveaway. I have no cops in my family, so. (laughs) I am a cop. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm undercover. This is all. Everybody. Stick them up. <laughs> this whole Earth Oddity podcast. It's here to, to sting. <laughs> it's a big undercover operation to catch Samantha Stone. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> Humans have been trying to take the heads off of one thing and put it onto another thing for at least 111 years. At least that's how long people who know what they're doing have been trying to do it. And there's something that's just innately disconcerting about having someone else's body part on yourself or on someone to whom that body part wasn't originally intended for. (laughs) Right. And of course, this was the basis of uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It was something that was more poignantly covered in uh, 1997's Oscar-nominated film Face Off with John Travolta (laughs) and Nicolas Cage. That's that's a classic. Do you know what it was nominated for? Um, I would say Best Action Scene. It was uh, nominated for Special Effects Sound Editing. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. There we go. Still, it's Oscar-nominated. Yeah. So most people have grown comfortable with the idea of organ transplants. It's something that was people were really uncomfortable with that when we started doing it, but by now it seems kind of commonplace kidney transplants, even heart transplants, don't really phase people like the idea of a head transplant does. And it's something, a head transplant is something that's never been done before. To a human. To a human. (laughs) (laughs) To a living human. But right now there's an Italian neurosurgeon who says he's ready to give this a try. And that's what we're talking about today. Dr. Sergio Canavero, the maybe not as crazy as he seems head transplant guy. I like to think mad genius. Mad genius. He's yeah. got the look. He does. He does. For sure. And he's got a lot of charisma, too. I watched his TED Talk on the way over here. He has a way of lulling you in and making you think, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> well, you know, I think that I was on the let's do this page before he said that. I mean, I, I am just... <laughs> I mean, I, 
what's the worst that can happen? You know, it's just a hand. You wake up paralyzed if you wake up. Yeah, right. But, you know, the first guy who was going to have it happen, he was pretty much paralyzed anyway. So, I mean, it seems like a win-win. But then he met that really hot girl and decided not to have it. I don't mean to jump Are we ahead. jumping oh, ahead? No, no, no. I mean, we, we can. That's we can, the most fascinating part of the story to me. We can, we can, we'll just chop this up and put it in an order that makes sense later on. Okay. Yeah. Like that dude met that, like, really beautiful girl. And all of a sudden he's like, no, I'm good. How I am. Has a kid, by the way. Yes, right. That That's has right. a way of uh, giving perspective as well. Yeah. So what was this guy's name? Yes. Sergio. And we are talking about Valery Spiridonov. Yes. yes, Valerie. He is a Russian. He's a CG artist and a video game programmer. And he suffers from shit. Sorry. Yeah, that, I, I suffer, suffer from that as well. Suffer from that too. Especially <laughs> <laughs> after chili night. Hold on. I'm sorry. Okay. Who suffers from Wernick Hoffman disease, which is a muscle wasting condition. Wow. I didn't know he had Dustin Hoffman disease. <laughs> <laughs> I will take a podcast off the rails in a heartbeat, so you just have to excuse me. No, it's fine. It's <laughs> All right. So, Dr. Sergio has said that he believes the key to performing the first successful head transplant does lie in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He's never read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. <laughs> No, that's true. He's never read it. Oh, the doctor, yeah? the good doctor, no, never read Sergio uh, Canavero, unless he's read it in the past two years, he's never read it. Wow. Well, well, that's, not, not, that's disturbing. <laughs> not too long ago, he was Skyping with someone, a journalist, and they said that Dr. Sergio, which is what I'm going to call him, uh, was shaking a gray, tattered book that was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, rattling off that it held the key. And uh, would you like to hear about the birth of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? So you guys, it's 1816, which was known as the year without a summer. And this is because of the eruption of Mount Tambora. When this volcano erupted in 1816, it released tons of ash, rock, and sulfuric dust into the air. So this dramatically lowered temperatures across most of the world that year. Weather was really shaking all over the place. In America, in Europe, it was a snowing red snow in Italy. That summer, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin gathered in Lake Geneva, Switzerland at a very large home called Villa Diodati with her friends. Amongst this group was her lover, Percy Shelley, who was married to someone else at the time, by the way. The poet Lord Byron was there and a couple of other people. They had had all these outdoor activities planned and they couldn't do any of them. They were confined to this large mansion where they spent their time doing drugs. They were making up stories and having orgies. So the group passed their time indoors by having illuminating discussions about current scientific theories. They were especially fascinated by the experiments with electricity carried out by Luigi Gavani, and he conducted experiments that caused muscle convulsions in dead frogs by using electrical charges in 1803. Uh, Is that really an experiment? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, like uh, shocking dead frogs. Yeah, is that? I mean, that's all he was doing, right? Well, I mean, just, this is back in the 1700s. I would imagine if something's dead, and all of a sudden this new in discovery electricity is, is making, making this the, thing jump around. Yeah, that's true. That's huge. Yeah, well, like heck, I guess yeah. There was a looser definition of experiment back then. <laughs> Come on, that's an experiment. In I would have been an amazing scientist back then. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, this I could far shock away all from kinds yeah, of dead right. Too. I'm this far away from accusing that person of witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) It had never been done before. So, in 1803, Aldini, Galvani's nephew, carried out a spectacular demonstration of the technique on the body of an executed criminal in London. Describing the effects of the electrical stimulus, a reporter stated, The left eye actually opened. 
So Mary Shelley and her friends are discussing these experiments, and they speculate on the possibility of bringing dead matter back to life by using electrical impulses. After all the drugs and all the talk of science, Lord Byron wanted to take the group into a different direction. He proposed that each member of the party should write a horror story. So later that night, after all the drugs and talk of scientific experiments, Mary has a nightmare. The next day, she tells the group this tale of a scientist who creates a monstrous creature by sewing up a bunch of body parts and bringing the dead flesh to life by way of electrical currents. And in 1818, Mary published, and this was anonymously at first, the modern Prometheus, or what is known as Frankenstein. So really what we need to do is just get a bunch of drugs, find like a secluded place, just all get together. We'll write the next great novel, right? Uh, I thought you were going to say shock some frogs. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we could mix a little bit of that in there. I don't know. Coming down from a DMT trip or something. Yeah. I had actually heard of the uh, the competition that they had had between them. Never with that kind of detail, though. Yeah. I had no idea there was an orgy. So. Oh. That gets the creative juices flowing. You there know? was a lot of orgies that weekend. Wow. Okay. So even though Dr. Sergio has not read Frankenstein, apparently, he is tremendously inspired by it. He is. And he even used quotes from Frankenstein at the beginning of his book. He wrote a book oh, called, yeah. uh, I believe the title was just Head Transplant. Oh. <laughs> what a, what okay, a now that, lame that, that, title. That, <laughs> I would have been Frankenstein 2, Electric Boogaloo, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he clearly made the cover of this book himself. Yeah, uh, because and like? he, he does this too. Like if you look at his TED talk, mm-hmm. he needs to get just some college graphic design intern or something to make this shit for him because his PowerPoint presentations are clearly done through Microsoft Paint or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the cover of his book is the same way. It's a picture of him split down the middle so you see his right half and the left half is his hero, Dr. Robert White. It's like a really bad Photoshop or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, it's not even a Photoshop. They're not even trying to be put together. (laughs) It's just like half of one man's face, half of another man's face. There's a black line in the middle, and I don't believe they're even centered with each other. I think one is a little higher than the other one. That's me if I wrote a book. I was just about to say, that sounds like the cover art that I do for Earth every week. (laughs) (laughs) So human head transplants have been a really long time coming. All the way back in 1894, there was a French college student named Alexis Carrel, and he became really interested in how to repair blood vessels because the French president had gotten stabbed when he was in medical school. And he got stabbed in a spot where it severed the vein that was supplying blood to his liver. But but the French president died of blood loss, and the reason he died was that nobody knew how to reconnect blood vessels back then. So he got obsessed with this idea of how he's going to, how to fix these blood vessels, how to mend them back together. And he actually went and started hanging out with a seamstress uh, who was known for for making these uh, silk doilies and things. Hey, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah. you know, if you're looking for how to sew things back right, together, yeah. you could do it's a lot logical. worse than a seamstress, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely logical. But I guess that's, you know, I guess it's nice that as a, as a surgeon, a highly educated guy, he was willing to say, look, there are people who know more about sewing things than me. You don't right. get, there's a lot of educated people just won't do that. Oh, yeah. 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 No, for real. But anyway, he goes and meets with this seamstress and she teaches him how to do all these very complicated sewing patterns and things. And he comes up with a way to sew blood vessels back together without 
puncturing the inside of the vessel. So he's managing to just kind of nick the outside right. with the silk thread and then pull these veins together. And that works. You know, as always happens, he feels like this is something he can do. And so he starts doing this to dogs. I don't know. Why is it always dogs? I think they're, they're readily available. Head? Right. Well, so are possums. Yeah, but you got to catch a possum. You can tame a dog. Uh, yeah, you can. You can. A dog will come up to you. Right. Especially yeah. if you have peanut butter. So. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do a lot more to you if you got peanut butter. Apparently. <laughs> It'll lick your wounds clean. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so Alexis Corelli is working on this uh, this way to to suture these veins back together, these blood vessels back together, and he tries this out on a dog. And this is the first time that. Uh, we know of that somebody has taken the head off of one thing and put it onto the head of another thing. So what he did is he cut the head off of one dog, put it onto the body of another dog. Now, he had no intention of this dog ever playing fetch again. He was just sewing the arteries back yeah. together. Just getting a little practice in. Yeah. So when he, when he when he sewed this dog's head onto the other body, it the head showed some signs of being responsive, but uh, it died a few hours later. I really don't like animal cruelty right. or animal medical testing. experiments, but yeah. there's just no way to talk about this without getting into it. Yeah, and yeah. this is one of those things. You know, like John said, he can't make it through an episode, and this is this is the first thing that I've ever looked at that was got I had trouble getting through it. Wow, Again, we're, we're, we're approaching the line apparently. Uh, yeah, well, no, I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to say that we've, <laughs> we've reached the line, but uh, so it, it doesn't get any better for dogs. I'm just trying to blow through some of this stuff. I don't want to dwell on the dog torture too much, but... Yes, let's oh, get to the uh, chimps. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that gets worse. <laughs> <Some> monkeys. <laughs> oh, man. So, so 50 years after Alexis Carell does this, there's a Soviet surgeon who starts transplanting the upper torsos of small dogs onto the bodies of larger dogs. Uh, and he's actually able to keep these upper torsos of these small dogs alive for a month. And so these upper torsos, I mean, they're not just hanging there. It's not as though the blood is just flowing through and they're technically alive. They're actually able to lap up water and things, and they're responsive. Their their eyes can track movements and things. So you have a dog that's from the hind leg. It's hind legs, everything there and back, the tail and everything's removed. And what's left has been sewn onto the uh, spinal column of a larger dog. And the dogs were able to survive that way for up to a month. Yeah. And wow. that procedure that Dr. Vladimir Dimikov did was well documented by Life magazine. They heard that he was going to do this. And in 1959, they sent one of the photographers to Soviet Russia to take several pictures and they even filmed the procedure, uh, which is available online. And this particular time that they did this, Dr. Vladimir Dimikov was using a large dog named, <laughs> God, it makes me so sad, Brodyaga which means tramp, and the tinier dog was Shavka that they cut, you know, the upper torso off and put it onto Brodyaga's back. Yeah, sure enough, he was able to attach it, and the top dog was lapping water, and the bottom dog was lapping water, and they both both were very, very depressed and sad. I could tell. I watched it. Uh, so right before the surgery, uh, Dr. Dimikov was in the surgery room with the Life magazine photographer, and another dog came trotting into the room, and it was very happy and seemed very healthy. Dimikov asked the reporter, you notice anything about this dog? Anything strange? The Life magazine guy was like, 
no, that looks like a normal dog. And so then the doctor was like, ha, he just had two hearts in him the other day, and I took one out. Let me just flex on you, a little photographer, <laughs> just removing hearts over here in Russia. He had added a second heart just to see if he could. The dog was fine, and about two days later, he removed that additional heart, and I put the dog back together, and uh, he's very proud of that. Wow. Didn't he so, also take this show on the road at one point? Did he? He started. He took this show on the road, to, I guess, to get funding for his experiments. And at one point, he had, you know, he had his two-headed dog up there, and he fed the dog. And one of the head is eating the food, and the other head is too. But the to the horror of all the scientists present, the food is just like coming out of his neck hole. Oh, they could have sewn up too good. <laughs> oh, that's tough look right there for your experiment. Oh, that's bringing us up to the mid '60s when an incredibly controversial neurosurgeon named Dr. Robert White starts doing some things that, by a lot of people's estimations, might be indefensible. Uh, one of the first things he did, or one of the first of these things that he did, was that he took the brains from several dogs, just the brains, and grafted them into the circulatory systems of other living dogs. This is one of the more disturbing things to me in this whole thing, because when they monitored these brains, they seemed to be functioning normally. I cannot even imagine. I mean, imagine being a mind with just nobody. a brain. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. Right. But you're conscious. I work with some people like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, maybe it's just me. That, that's no, like, that's like, like the I'm, most I'm horrifying thing I think horrifying. I've ever heard. That's yeah. absolutely just horrifying. having my brain just grafted yeah. onto something. I mean, because there's no there's no nerve endings on your brain. You can't even feel anything. Wow. That you're just you're just a conscious nothing. Hmm. Unless you're Krang. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I've talked about going as Krang with uh, Liz. Because <laughs> she's so tiny. I was like, look, I'll just stand up real straight and we'll fix you a little box and you can just sit in it. Yeah. And we'll just wrap a pink sheet around you. And you just <laughs> tell me where idea. to go. Bad idea. <laughs> So, uh, Dr. Wise is most famous for an experiment that he conducted in the 70s where he connected the head of one monkey to the body of another monkey. These were both macaque monkeys. I've heard that said macaw, I feel like. I feel like I have too, yeah. but don't trust me. Yeah, I mean, but no, it's pronounced macaque because I, I wrote it down phonetically <laughs> and it looks really funny. Right. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think religious people are the ones who try to call it macaw. <laughs> they say right. it might be right about it. <laughs> like my, my wife, she pronounced it shizu. <laughs> <laughs> So, like Dr. Carell that we were talking about earlier, Dr. White did not make any attempt to connect the spinal cord back together. He just connected back the major blood vessels. So, the monkey was paralyzed, but this experiment was videotaped, and the monkey was clearly conscious after being connected uh, to this other body. It was able to eat, and there's videos that show that it was able to track movements with its eyes, and... Have you ever seen this video? No. I have. Uh, what are you guys searching on the internet? <laughs> Goodness gracious. You have, you have no I mean, I was watching Faces of Death when I was a kid. Oh, no. My mom just thought it was like Friday the 13th or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. I think that this video is on that original Faces of Death. I might be wrong. See, I watched somebody I mean, die in real life, and I just kind of tied it. I was like, nah, I'm done. Mm. I'm done watching oh. people die. So. Way to bring down the <laughs> podcast. I'm just saying, that's why I never, because like all my friends would be like, 
you watch the new Face of the Dead. You got VHS tape or whatever. I'm like, nah, man. Nope, I'm and good. John grabs him by the collar. I've seen Faces <laughs> of Death. Right. Oh I can tell you what you it really punk. looks and sounds like. I am the Face of Death. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I've been anti-death since then. So. Uh, this this monkey. If you do watch that video, it, it's got uh, an expression on its face that seems very appropriate for the circumstances that it has found itself in. It just looks horrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's understandable, <laughs> little monkey buddy. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. Doctor White was quoted as saying, "Chimping ain't easy." <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> Was that over the line? No. <laughs> you name that monkey Curious George for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. I try to be a good person, but I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I told you that today, Johnny. I'm just a horrible person. I can't stop myself from being one. <laughs> so that brings us all the way up. To uh, the new player in town, which is Dr. Sergio Canavero. So Sergio Canavero was hoping to build on all of these aforementioned predecessors of his. Dr. White, in particular, seems to be a hero of his. So White's focus was on the brain. And it seems like White's primary goal was to find a way to maintain neurological functions in the absence of a living body. Uh, And he was largely successful in doing that. I mean, if you watch the video of that monkey, it clearly knows what's going on. Might not understand what's happened, but it knows something's wrong. And so Sergio Canavero wants to combine what Dr. White learned with his own area of research, which has to do with the mending of the spinal cord. And Dr. Canavero thinks that he is ready to perform the world's first ever human head transplant. And what's unfortunate about this is that Canavero is kind of the face of head transplants. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was that a pun? Damn it. it was. Shit. It was. I appreciate I it. To, I don't like puns. Which is a shame because you're so good at them. No. That was good. effortless. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was perfect. Really. Effortless as in unintended. <laughs> unintended puns are the best ones, though, really. So you got something to say about Dr. Sergio's looks? Yeah, so this is not the guy that you want to be the face of this kind of thing. I mean, he looks exactly like the kind of guy that wants to cut somebody's head off and put it on somebody else. Yeah. He's bald. If you haven't seen pictures of him, he's bald. He's got little tiny round glasses. He's weirdly muscular. He is. He Yeah, I noticed that. He hits the gym. He, he looks, like, he looks the gym. like the medical equivalent of Walter White. And he, he seems to dress in black a lot, black turtlenecks mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. So um, I, that's, that bothers me. I'm not a turtleneck. <laughs> I don't like turtlenecks. John, John was on board until he said turtlenecks. I can handle everything else with turtlenecks. Is, uh, that's where my line is. I tell you what, if I was ever in a room with him, I might want to wear a turtleneck. Because I don't want him looking at my like sizing you up. <laughs> He's got a little neck to spare over there. You know? Like TJ Yeldon had a super long neck when he played for Alabama. Just, I don't I'd be the only one who recognized that, but he had a super long neck. So like he would be a good candidate, by the way. Right. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not sure if long neck is uh, part of their their vetting process for candidates for head It would be for me. That's why I would be like, I need, you know, if I mess up, I don't cut it exactly straight. I got to go back and recut, you know. I kind of like the idea of John doing this, though, and like, (laughs) oh, we didn't do it straight that time. It's all right. We got 
some, there's extra there. So we just cut off. Right. We got a little extra slide. room to work with. <laughs> and then the guy wakes up and his head's it's just like directly right on, on the shoulders. shoulders. <laughs> John kept having to cut slices out. Excuse me, sir. I, before we show you the mirror, let me just want to talk to you a little bit. Had a little difficulty getting your neck sawed off just right. So good news is we got everything attached. You're just missing a little bit of neck. You don't have an Adam's apple anymore, okay? <laughs> you fix most of that up with makeup. Yeah, put a little oh, yeah, shading yeah, down yeah, there so it looks like you got more shadows. Oh, totally. Right there. Contouring is yeah, yeah, contouring. Exactly. You want to wear a V-neck, <laughs> you know, something like that. When merging in traffic, you're going to need to use your mirrors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so Canavero needs... I mean, he's not doing his cause any favors by presenting himself the way that he does. A Hawaiian shirt. Maybe yeah. would help him out a little bit, you know, just, just add some color to his wardrobe. <laughs> trying to look so menacing yeah, and mad scientist like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you would ha- you would be hard pressed to make yourself look more like a mad scientist than he just looks. <laughs> hey man, you're choosing to look this way. All right, yeah. like you have a mirror. You know? Right. I'm just a redneck from Alabama, but I kind of like the idea that he's embraced this mad scientist <laughs> persona. What if he came out like sleeveless shirts, you know? Like a just standard redneck retire attire, like a naturalized shirt with the sleeves all cut down the sides, like you know they do, and like jean shorts and flip flops on. I'm here to do your head surgery. <laughs> yeah, here's a clip of uh, Sergio Canavero. All right, well this is an interesting clip to me. It's only 40 seconds. Spinal cord injury releases 26 thousand newtons of force. So this is holding up two bananas. He just it's unrecoverable. This is what happens in Gemini. Hop. And he slices through the other one with a sharp knife. The very sharp blade that will be used will release less than 10 newtons of force. That banana can be brought back to life, but these can. He's not putting either one of those bananas back together. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, that's That's a a terrible example. (laughs) Right. He smashes one banana with his hand, he cuts the other one through the middle, and then he says, I can't put the smashed one back together, but I can put this one back together. He can't put either one of those back together. I mean, I feel like maybe the point he's going for is a controlled injury is easier to repair than a freak accident. Exactly. Yes, but that is a terrible, a banana is a horrible example. I would like for him to put the banana back together. I thought it was a great example. And he mentions the Gemini Project, which is where Dr. Sergio Canavero plans on, his whole thing is you have to have a very special knife. The knife has to be so sharp and just so-so to be able to slice through all those nerve bundles very cleanly. And his big thing is the use of a special gel, PEG, PEG, or polyethylene glycol, which Canavero calls his glue. Um, And this is to help the reattachment of the hundreds of nerves that require reattachment. The PEG, or polyethylene glycol, allows the two severed pieces of spinal cord to achieve fusion. This is the big sticking point for a lot of people, because I think everybody believes that they can reattach these arteries and blood vessels. But the nerves, that's a whole different ballgame. I mean, this bundle of millions of fibers that are within the spinal column has always been the sticking point. Because you can 
cannot reattach those manually. There's not enough time to do it. Well, it, I mean, it's just it just it, can't be yeah, done. It just can't it, be done. It is not possible well, to reconnect I, all of those. Saying. And so that, that's what's always yeah. been the problem can't with 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 spinal injuries. I mean, the closest that we've come to doing anything remotely like reconnecting these things is through stem cells, which really stem cells have a lot of applicability to other types of operations. But when it comes to spinal injuries, if you don't know, stem cells will essentially take on the functions of the cells that they come into contact with. And that's where a lot of the the issue comes with stem cells, because it's how a lot of the the organs and forming fetuses get made is because uh, these stem cells turn into the things that they need to be. But when it comes to the spinal column, the best thing that they've been able to do is kind of make a bridge. So you have a spinal column that has or a spinal cord that has injuries. They insert the stem cells around it and it doesn't fuse the spinal cord back together. But what it does is it takes one end and kind of creates a bridge over across to the other end bypassing that injured area and so but they're not good enough at it for it to be really worthwhile when it right. comes to the spinal cord so it's like uh it's like if you take the autobahn and uh you just cut off a whole big section of it and then you just put a little sidewalk down the middle and then everybody gets to that point and then they just have to take the sidewalk great example <laughs> This is the best thing no, I could I'm come serious. up with. I couldn't think of no, that I think you were. I actually thought it was a really serious. good one. No, I, I, wasn't I was thinking of laying down ladders across the gap. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, there you go. I, I thought we were going for Dukes of Hazard, like jumping over it first, <laughs> but I saw where you, know, you were getting to. Yeah, so they, they put the uh, the Dixie horns on the, <laughs> on the stem cell. Them stem cell boys are at it again. And the whole thing with most spinal cord injuries is that they are very messy. And, and that's part of it, too, because usually spinal cord injuries come from car wrecks or things like that, and they get smashed and things. And a big problem with spinal cord injuries is that when they get crushed or severed, they tend to form cysts, which just complicates everything further. So even if you were able to reattach them, you've got these dead ends with these cysts on them. And so that's why Sergio Canvero says that one of the most important parts of what he's trying to do is you've got to make a very clean cut through all of these fibers and the spinal cord without exerting a whole lot of pressure on it too. So it's one thing to just make a clean slice, but it's another thing to do it without smashing the fibers underneath the top ones that you're cutting on. Yeah. Then you're screwing up the ones under those. Exactly. So the special knife comes into play. The special diamond tipped knife yes. comes into play. Can you get those at William Sonoma? <laughs> I don't think so. Buy them at the flea market. Sharper image. <laughs> you get a butterfly knife with a diamond tip on it at the flea market. You don't go to Tannehill Trade Day. Seriously? Not only one. Tiny knows what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> this is, I mean, you cut this out, but I, but my brother-in-law, he's got like a trash can full of swords that he got when he was like 13, you know? Oh, like, yeah. He I didn't know them. that. He collected swords. Yeah, and he was like, what am I going to do with all these? And I told him, I was like, you take those down to Tannehill Trade Days That's one day, right. you will sell every single That's one. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Tell him to attach a little rebel flag to him. That guy, he, he can double the price on him. <laughs> so. So we got to have a diamond tip knife. Yes. The mm. diamond tip knife. Tell us, Kevin. Okay. So here is how the entire head transplant operation would take place 
Theoretically. Theoretically, uh, if they're able to do it. So first, obviously, you need two patients. One of them is going to be essentially brain dead, and they're going to be the one that donates the body. The other patient is going to have a viable brain, but uh, they're going to be in the opposite situation. There's something wrong with the body, a spinal injury, degenerative muscle disease, something. Both of these people, and this whole procedure is outlined in uh, Canavero's book, Head Transplant. <laughs> is that in English? <laughs> it is in English. Okay. Wow, it is. Can you get it on Kindle? Yep. <laughs> yep, that's where I read it. <laughs> so the two patients are going to be situated in an operating room right next to each other, and there's going to be two teams of surgeons in the rooms, one for each patient, and the first thing that's going to happen is that both of these patients are going to have tracheotomies so that they can continue supplying oxygen to uh, both of the patients while they're severing their trachea and things and make it so they can't breathe naturally. They're going to affix both of these heads into specially made devices. So the body donor's head is going to go into a device and be clamped into it so that as soon as they sever the head, it can be moved away. What they're going to do with the person with a viable brain, though, is they're actually going to have a sort of a crane device, I think, attached to the ceiling. And they're going to have the person's head clamped into that so that when they cut this person's head off, they can actually, probably like these boom arms that we have, the microphones here, swivel it around to the other body and hold it, it right in place. very still so that it gets in place. So they're going to put thermometers into both the bodies. they got to monitor the temperature. Up the butt? Yes, they are both going to have thermometers. Do you know the difference between a rectal thermometer and an oral thermometer? Yeah, <laughs> one of them's got a big end. Oh, I, I, mean, was, the, the I was going to say the taste. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that one. I have new My wife's a nurse. It's an old joke. <laughs> you ever heard that one? Feel free to use it. I've never heard that. John made that one up. <laughs> no. That's a- that's a good one, though. I was—I could stop myself from saying it. By the way, that's my. Anytime I hear a rectal thermometer, I have to come out with that. Okay, so they're taking yeah. their temperature. So they've got their, got their rectal temperature. thermometers in. Yes. And so they—they they will cool the head with a viable brain in it to ten degrees Celsius. So, but on the on the body of the person that's donating just their body, they only cooled the part of the neck that they plan to cut through, and then they start cutting through both of these people's necks simultaneously. Quick question: uh-huh. The donor body is he going to be brain dead when they go to sawing his head off? Oh yeah, yeah he because that been. opens up a lot of ethical quandaries. You know, he would have yeah. been brain dead before they even willed him in there. They, right. That, that, that's kind of a prerequisite for a donor. Yeah. You can't just be like, I just want to be a donor body. <laughs> just bring They're me not. up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tired of living. Just uh, you can have my body. <laughs> well, I mean, we know how people operate, especially people of means. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, you know, considering, the, and this surgery is going to cost in the neighborhood of $10 million. Oh, I read. Oh, that's cheap. $15 million. $15 million. Yeah. So wow. uh, if you got that kind of money, and I cannot that's imagine. It's still cheaper that, than uh, going to space. And <laughs> can I just say this? I'm sorry. I know this sounds callous and cold, but nobody's life is worth $15 million to keep them going. Uh, I. Mine might be. Not no, not even yours. <laughs> not even mine. What? What would you put the price at? That's a fascinating question. Kevin, I would continue your life cycle for a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. <laughs> what would you put your own at? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. I don't got much going for me, so it's, I'm same here. But I'd, I'd at least get into the thousands. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but I'm just like, 
so many more helpful things. More people could be helped with that money. I just think it's outrageous. Millions of dollars spent on one procedure for one person. I I hate humans. I'm sorry. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of like my favorite drunken bar conversation that I like to have or my drunken bar negotiating. Okay. Uh, I've done this a lot where I will start talking to somebody and ask them how much... Uh, it would take for me to cut off one of their toes. Okay. <laughs> Which toe? Uh, pinky? Your choice. Are we going pinky toe? Pinky toes. Pinky toes. fine. How much would it take for me to get your pinky toe, John Long? 500 bucks. Pinky toe on the left foot, I would go eight grand. Oh, $8, wow. $8,000 for a pinky toe. You're... You've placed a very high value. You're on that real pinky proud toe. of that pinky toe. <laughs> Have you guys never negotiated anything? You don't start out low, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> you hadn't read Art of the Deal, okay? Oh, you, you made a great point. You're right. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a thousand dollars right now. You let me lop off that pinky toe. I'd probably I, on my left foot. I would let it go for five. Five thousand. Mm-hmm. You can go forty five hundred. I'm sure. Mm, I'm gonna stick at five. Five. You're the guy who needs a toe. I'm the guy who's got a toe. <laughs> I don't need a toe. Well, You're gonna let I'm, me I'm, walk out that door I'm over five hundred dollars. I'm not gonna say. I mean, how bad do you need that toe? I don't, I don't what know. Could you do you got to flash cash. You know, that's what it's got to come down to. Hey, Kevin. Uh huh. You know that little toe that I have? The you little, your the little, little gnarled up, gross little toe? It's not gnarled. It was just crossed because my shoe was tight that day. <laughs> I would let you have that little, little toe for 4500 Now, 4500 yes. was John's price. All right. Yeah. That, that's, a, I mean, that's a famous toe. That's a fringe radio <laughs> network toe. Granted. Okay. You're not on any kind of radio network. <laughs> right? You don't get that kind of money for your toe. Uh, Back to head transplants. Okay. Head transplants. That was an excellent segue. <laughs> Thermometers in the butts. Heads cooled. They start cutting through both of these patients. Super sharp knives. Super sharp knives. Cranes. The one with the donor body gets hooked up to a pump so that circulation keeps going through the body. The head with the viable brain that's going to be transplanted onto the body, you would think that they would do something similar to that. Do you know what they're going to do? What are they going to do? They're not going to keep circulation through that head. They're actually going to let all of the blood drain out of that head. And not only that, they're going to flush the head out, too, so that they don't leave any blood in there. Huh. Uh, And the reason they're doing that is because... They're afraid of coagulation of the blood in that head. Yeah, uh, just, clots. Yeah, just in that little period. So they're going to flush every bit of the blood out of it. And it's going to be cold, so it's going to be in this hypothermic state. But once they flush all this blood out and they cool it down, I mean, the clock's ticking at that point because they've got a brain. They've proven that a brain, that it won't start degrading to a point of causing any kind of serious damage for 45 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. But once you go past that, the brain starts degrading really rapidly uh, to the point that if, if if you take longer than that to complete this procedure, when the person waits up, they're going to be a mess. Is he going to cut both heads off, or is he like, you know, hey, assistant, you work on the dead guy, I'm oh, he's work on the live guy, he's got or does he have like a simultaneous knife that's well, going to come say, down? You have to use that sharp knife on both right. of them because if you want to stick that banana back together, right? right. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like, does he have two sharp knives? And he's like, I'm like, hey, tiny, I'm lead surgeon. I'm working on the dude who's alive. You work on the brain dead guy. Uh, he's got get your one cut right. really long knife. He's going to put them side by side. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the only way you can get it straight. I got 
got you. No, not really. There's going to be two teams of surgeons, and they're both going to have. Yeah. There'll be a diamond knife guy right. on both teams. <laughs> okay. I'll race. I'll be like, I bet you I'll beat you through this. I bet you I'll get my hair cut off before you. <laughs> I'd be like, John, it's not a race. <laughs> like, everything's a competition. I'm in the corner with like the donor's head, like, take good care of it. How <laughs> you finish up first? You're like, Messing around with it, you drop it. You know, oh, my bad. <laughs> Kick it around the room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm over Sorry. there trying I'm to get like, a little carried away. Uh, I'm, I'm over there trying to sew it on a dog. <laughs> <laughs> use it as an ashtray. Why not use the other head? For yeah, you, you got know? you got a perfectly good dead head there. I mean, you can do something with it. Can't just let it go to waste. Throw it out or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do something with it. I'm gonna send this to your church. <laughs> <laughs> they won't listen to it. No, they won't. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> so, what else happens during this procedure? Uh, where were we? Okay, so they we cut off both the heads. Yeah, they, got, both heads are cut off. The uh, brain dead head. You throw that in the garbage. It's like soccer ball. Yeah, yeah. soccer ball. They, they do like play hacky sack. That team's yeah. like we're done. You spike it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so then the the brain alive head. Okay. Yeah, alive head. So <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting us uh, all off no, track no, here. It's, it's but fine. I'm fascinated with, like, what are you going to do with a dead head? You know, <laughs> They throw it away. They I'm do. sure they just, like, It's bio, it. biohazardous garbage. You don't go old school and put it on a pike. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, stay out of my yard, neighbors. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they got a little, little tiny graveyard in the back where the where the headstones are real close together. <laughs> Maybe they give the head back to the family. Oh, damn so it. Did I just make another pun? I said headstone. That's a pun. <laughs> that is a pun. <laughs> damn. I hate puns, and I've made yeah. two of them now. That's not bad. If you could get like it in formaldehyde or whatever, just put it on the mantle. You know, like, oh, that's Uncle Joe. He donated his body to science, you know? Yeah. I'd kind of like to have a little severed head in here, to be honest. It'd be kind of cool. Look, hey, you need a head? I'll get you a head. <laughs> I know a guy. Just let me know. All right. I'm from Walker County. You need a yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah, you're from Walker County. Yeah, I can get you a head. <laughs> I bet we I might know head. the same guy. I'm just saying. <laughs> I bet I can get ahead faster than you can get ahead. <laughs> I don't know. We should have a race. <laughs> I guarantee you I'll come back here with a saber head before you do. I don't know if I'm going to participate, but I would sit here and watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be real suspicious when John comes back in five minutes. I had it in the trunk all along. Kevin's <laughs> was like, I was just kidding. So I've completely derailed everything. <laughs> So, so we take the uh, the head with the viable brain. We put it onto this body. Sewing up the veins and everything, we can do that for sure. And this is where the PEG comes into play. And what does that stand for again? Polyethylene glycol. Polyethylene glycol. Thank you, Tiny. Very good. It's a good Steely Dan song, too, by the way. And so the hope is that they apply the peg to the spinal cord. Things kind of fuse back together. They don't believe that they're going to manage to achieve complete fusion with with all of these fibers in the spinal column. But they do think that they're going to be able to get at least 20%. And they believe that this is enough that they can restore the majority of motor skills in the body. Now, after this procedure is done, this new person, uh, that person is going to have to stay in bed, completely immobilized for at least a month. Um, and the reason for that is that they want to give the, these fibers and the peg time to do do its work. And if the people start moving around too much, yeah, they you might don't fall off these fibers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it it's might fall off. <laughs> <laughs> Sit up a yeah. little too early. Um, 
Not only are they immobilized, I read that they actually keep them in a medically induced coma for a little bit too because to wake up so soon after that surgery with your neck like that, they said would be too much for the human brain, the mind to handle. They oh, would yeah. go crazy. Canavero is not that concerned with the ethics behind this. No. I don't think. And he's <laughs> not that concerned with the psychology behind this no. either. In his book, the only reason that he gives for this immobilization and for the medically induced coma is because if someone is awake, they're just naturally going to be fidgety or something. They might right. move around a little. They want them to not move mm -hmm. at all. The procedure that we were just talking about of the head transplant, Canavero calls this procedure heaven which stands for Head Anastomosis Venture. I think that the uh, him calling that heaven is either he's not considering the perception that he's putting out in the world of himself and what he's trying to do, or he's just blatantly trying to incite. It seems like he's just like, he just wants to see if he can do it. You know, like yeah. regardless of any consequences or anything like that, like somewhere along the way, he's like, I bet you I could put a head on somebody else's body and he just can't get it out of his mind. So he's just, you know, Full stop, I'm going to do it, regardless of ethical consequences or cost or anything else. And we also very much live in a, a day and age where there's no such thing as bad publicity. So maybe him trying to portray Dr. Frankenstein, he thinks that that's going to get him noticed and possibly even funded. Yeah, that's That might be what he's doing. I, mm -hmm. I think that he is making himself look more unprofessional than he should be. Because it's not as though, I mean, he is a professional. He worked for 22 years as a neurosurgeon. He's a brilliant guy, way smarter than I will ever be. He could run our housing and urban development department. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the way he's presenting himself is kind of a caricature of himself. But I think Tiny might be right about that because, I mean, we, we might not be talking about this right now if he did not act that way. Right. That's very true. And yeah. we don't, we're not millionaires, but uh, people who are millionaires pay attention and one of them might help fund some of the stuff right. that he's trying yeah, to do. Yeah, I, I don't stay up to date on like all the latest medical journals that come out. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise. But I do read articles that, hey, this surgeon thinks he can reattach a dude's head to another body. And that's how I know about him. So. Um. I need to say something. It's very important. Canavero says, and I quote, I'm into life extension, life extension and breaching the wall between life and death. My goal is not curing spinal cord injury. It is not about curing medical conditions because there are not enough bodies. Even if you cure someone who's in bad shape, what about everyone else? Then you have to think about clones. And then Canavero said that he believes that one day humans will use full body transplants to live forever by placing their aging heads on young healthy bodies. He even suggests that we will probably have to use clone bodies for the full body transplants or for good parts one day. Just like that movie, The Island, starring Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. So what I'm so disturbed about is, A, who wants to fucking live forever? I don't. I can't wait to get off this planet. It's same. getting worse and worse. I'm sorry. I know that's so pessimistic. No, I'm the same way, but, honestly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Who wants to extend this life? But more importantly, who wants to be walking around with an old ass head on a young hot body? <laughs> that's, not a, that's a very good point. Well, it beats you got your head. liver spots all on your <laughs> cheeks and stuff. One word. Botox. <laughs> it beats an old head on an old body. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're I mean, right. I would totally I mean if they got this down, 
Yeah. I'd absolutely do this. And if I was super rich and I could afford it, I would take advantage of this so bad. I would just You'd eat pop pizza. down the money to go uh, yeah. get Chris Helmsworth's body. Yeah. Oh, no. I asked Kevin earlier, whose body an actor would you put your head on? And eventually he came around to saying Alexander Skarsgård. And I said, that's a great choice. You All right, let's watch go around out. the room. Whose body would you take? Well, I would say Thor, but if you've seen Endgame, I, I have <laughs> Thor's body. So. <laughs> I haven't seen Seen Endgame. Don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. No, I haven't either. <laughs> Who's body? Um, that's a tough call because, I mean, pretty much honky as it is. That's uh, the truth. I know you can't see him. It's podcast. That's why no one can see Man, me. Man, toned. I'm, to- I'm gym rat is what they call it. He's always in there working out. Would you put your head on like a super hot chick's body and then just look at yourself in the mirror? No. <laughs> Obviously he would. And we had talked about that. Like actually, Kevin. Alexander Skarsgård would be number two for me. First thing I would do, I would have a woman's body for a while. I just want to see what it's like. And yeah. he, des- you know? he described the woman's body that he would have. In great detail. What, I, I believe not great no, I detail. believe you said wayfish, but with a butt so round it wasn't right. Or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> so round it wasn't? No. no. I like that line, though. <laughs> butt so round is not right. I'm going to go home and tell my wife that. <laughs> No, and, and you know, and I don't mean that just to be, you know, like, oh, I'm just gonna go look at my boobs, and but uh, yeah, I mean, that would be an experience that I will never have unless this head transplantation thing takes off yeah. and they get good at I have it. A That's question. the only way I can ever do this. I have a question: Can I put my head? On a child's body. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be wild. <laughs> you know? That would be wild. It'd be like Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Yeah. Like, what, what age are you talking about? I'm talking about, like, I want to put my head on an 11-year-old's body. Oh, okay. I was thinking, like, a three-year-old's body. <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> All right. I, yes. <laughs> I was thinking human bobblehead. Why an 11-year-old? I don't know. That sounds like a good age for me to get away with stuff. Yeah. Like hide and go hunt? Yes, I wanted to be old enough to hide and go hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Although that started when I was very young, as you guys know. I tried to play that with my wife the other night. She wasn't into it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally wasn't into it. Is there a particular 11-year-old you'd like to put your head Uh, on? No, actually, I want to... I'm taking that back. For real, if I had to pick a body, it would be... Gina Davis, circa 1988. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was rethinking mine, too. Like Secretariat. That's a wild one. <laughs> like a horseman. Is that a minotaur? A senator. <laughs> a senator, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, this, this changes everything. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I had Thoroughbreds have this. the life, though. You know, they, like, win the Triple Crown, and then they just go and live in a pasture for the rest of their life. They don't have to do anything else ever again except sell their sperm. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have great sperm, by the way. My kids are awesome. <laughs> what, you mean the consistency I mean, or what? Everything. You know? I mean, my, my, my offspring are really awesome kids, so. <laughs> the quantity and quality is yeah, very good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great sperm. <laughs> like, like, I would put my sperm up against anyone. <laughs> <laughs> against anybody. Is that, yeah. <laughs> I, I would put it on anybody. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> uh, uh,
I, I, by the way, I, I would not put my head on it. Like, if I could do this twice, woman the first time, then Alexander Skarsgård. I wouldn't want to just stay the woman. Anyway. I don't think that I would want to go with a woman, though. You wouldn't even want to know what it was like for a little while? I mean... Like, do you want to get your first period? No, I don't. <laughs> I, want to. I have an 11-year-old girl in my house who's gotten hers, so I've been dealing with that. It's a big deal. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is. And When I was little, before I ever started my period, which was when I was in sixth grade, but probably around fourth grade, my mom started letting me get these training pads, <laughs> which were like these little bitty tiny maxi pads with little designs on them. Okay. And um, just to practice putting them in my underwear. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I yeah, didn't either. It is. Mm-hmm. That would have been good to know. <laughs> yeah. No, I had to take I had to take pads to the elementary school, though, so, because Deidre was at work and I got a call. Oh, okay. I had to like go and buy them and go up to school. And, you know, like how awkward is that? Like, she's my foster daughter, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even like her real fan. I'm not even the same color as her. And I like, have to yeah. go up to the office with like a bag of maxi pads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, little buddy that's been living with us for like a month and a half. I got your stuff here. Aww. And if I was another parent, like standing in the lunchroom or something, I'd be like, look at that creep. It's <laughs> weird. <laughs> He's just up here giving away sanitary napkins to random kids. <laughs> oh, my God. I've got this friend. John. But we went to this crawfish bowl and he brought his like 11 year old daughter there and they roughhouse a lot. You know, they wrestle and things and they were out there wrestling at this crawfish bowl and somebody came up and I was like, he just met that girl a little while ago <laughs> here. I don't know whose kid that is. just wrestling around. And, you know, for, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that dude's a weirdo. Man. He's wrestling <laughs> random kids. He told me when he got here he hated kids. <laughs> hey, did you guys know that in Vienna on November 17th, Sergio Canavero at a conference in Vienna, he claims to have successfully carried out the world's first head transplant on a human corpse. He pointed out that the transplant surgery can take place in 18 hours, or it did on this cadaver. And that's exactly the amount of time that he originally thought it would take to do this on live human donors. Canavero did not offer any proof of this actual head transplant on the cadaver, though, when uh, asked. I feel like I could do one on a corpse. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a lot less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, the uh, the polyethylene glycol. We're just gonna put, get some crazy glue. That's right. <laughs> You're like, man, you could do that in my garage. You know, he's still dead. Worked. Yeah. He's still dead, but he's got a new head on him. So <laughs> everything was successful. You know, people keep saying that that he's not providing proof for these things. You know, so they they transplanted the the head of a monkey. Did the same thing that Doctor White did. Yes. And they got a lot of flack because all they released was a picture of. Of the the monkey with the sutures around its neck. I would not have released that. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, because if you look at all the flack that Dr. White got from that video yeah. of the head transplant, the living head mm-hmm. on the uh, the monkey that he transplanted that onto, I know that he's looking for publicity, but I think that that is a thing too far for them. And also, everybody's claiming that he's not providing proof for these things. He's presenting his papers and his research. Yeah, and he's done a lot of animal experiments. 
I don't think he's making things up. Right. I don't think that they're not doing the things yeah, that they're right. saying I believe that they're he's doing. doing this. In 2017, in a paper he published in a medical journal, he claimed that he severed the spines of several mice and reattached their spines using his special polyethylene glycol glue. Special sauce. His special sauce. <laughs> and it worked. He was able to fuse their spines back together. But now, a University of Cambridge neurosurgery professor, John Pickard, he says that the journal in which Canavero's studies were published for this particular mice reattachment spinal surgeries is a total red flag because the journal itself is not very respectable. And What's um, the name of the journal? I don't know. I'm sorry. Head yeah. transplant. Can't tell you. <laughs> 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 Over, <laughs> Overdrive <Sergio>. Trucker Magazine. <laughs> Sergio um, Canabarro's <laughs> Journal of Science. <laughs> yeah, and, and this doctor from Cambridge says that he just doesn't think that Canavero has actually done the science for this, which that's debatable. I think he has. Wait, who says this? Dr. John Pickard from the University of Cambridge. He's a neurosurgery professor. No. He's, he okay. says that he doesn't actually think Canavero has done the science, that he is kind of making this stuff up. But, you know, if you read the papers that Canavero has published, his studies, I mean, there's absolutely evidence of the two-headed mice that he has created. Canavero's detractors, one of which is an uh, ethics professor from Emory, Dr. Paul Wolpe. I guess ethicists are something that we need so that people like me don't just... <laughs> You know, because <laughs> go to sticking heads on everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would totally, you know, not the animal research, but I, I am totally on the page of you do with your body whatever you want to do with your body. I mean, you know, you don't you don't go knocking people out and taking their bodies. But uh, if somebody's done living or especially if somebody has some kind of disease, something that's going to kill them anyway, and they want to try this, just let them try it. And that's what bothers me about ethicists. Is that they're always, you know, they <laughs> they're laying down, man. Yeah, well, you know, I, there's just something to me innately infuriating about somebody who says, "I know what everyone else needs to do," and that's exactly what ethicists do. Absolutely. Uh, but Dr. Wolpe at Emory had this paper where he was talking about the ethics of actually carrying something like this out. And there's two things that just really bug the shit out of me about what he wrote. The first thing is that there's a typo on the first page. <laughs> <laughs> and the second You've thing... You've lost all credibility. <laughs> well, you know, and the second thing is, well, but he's talking about Canavero's credibility. Like, he is attacking the, the credibility of Canavero, and the paper that he wrote has a typo in it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he gets on to Canavero a lot for citing his own work in the papers that he's putting out. And there's two things that bother me about that thing. And that's that Canavero and uh, Xiaoping Ren, they're doing things that... There's not a lot of other work to cite. There, There's no other work yeah, to right. cite. Um, I mean, if they're going to cite Except anything... Dr. White. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, when you when you start talking about the, the fusing of the spinal cord, there's nothing else nobody else is doing this what are they going to cite and then the second problem i have was that is that the same guy dr wolpe in the same paper where he's getting on to canavero for doing this he cites himself in that paper <laughs> <laughs> you just look at the sources right, right. there at the end <laughs> the w's the conspiracy theory okay have you guys heard about this? I have never played any of the Metal Gear Solid video games, but listen to this shit. There is 
an allegation against Sergio Canavero that apparently when he announced the upcoming surgery that he was going to do, you know, with Valerie Spiridonov, who had registered with him to be a part of this, it was a part of a huge marketing ploy to promote the Metal Gear Solid video game franchise. It was to promote Metal Gear Solid 5 Phantom Pain, which came out in 2015, which is when Sergio announced this, that he was going to be doing this. Here are some clues. I'm fascinated. I've played the Phantom Pain, so I'm fascinated Well, okay, well then this. check this out. All right, first of all, in that game, did you notice a character that looks just like Dr. Sergio Canavero? Yeah. It's- yeah, there's a doctor that looks just like him. Clue one. Clue two. Now, actually, Dr. Canavero was asked about why there is a character in this video game that looks just like him. And he says that he doesn't know how his likeness was used in the video game without his permission. He hypothesized that maybe it was possible that at his TED Talk, maybe there were video game developers from that franchise that had set up a bunch of cameras around and had videoed different angles of him to be able to create his image. That kind of goes back to him having really no understanding of how to edit photos (laughs) or do any kind of digital manipulation because you would not have to set a bunch of cameras no. around a ball-headed guy with glasses right. to make a likeness of a ball-headed guy you with glasses. You just get an artist and yeah. hand him a picture. All right. <laughs> you didn't have to just say, make us a ball-headed guy with glasses. Yeah. Put a black turtleneck on him. Um, <laughs> clue two. Did I mention uh, Valerie Spiridonov? Uh, he is a CG artist and video game development supervisor. Interesting. Okay. So Dr. Canavero's head transplant project is called Heaven, which is a reference to the bad guys in Metal Gear Solid. They have a base that they refer to as Outer Heaven. Okay. So. All right. Thank you, Tiny. <laughs> yeah. So what do you guys think about this? Is the theory it's totally possible. that Metal Gear Solid was just basing a character on Canavero? Because I absolutely, I mean, that's, that's what it yeah, sounds like to me. Okay, yeah. that, but, totally believable. But the theory is, is that Dr. Canavero Vero struck up a mutual agreement with the franchise owner, uh, Hideo Kojima. Mm-hmm. I'm probably saying that wrong. No, you got it um, right. Thank you. So they think that the two of them came up with this mutual beneficial deal together to both give each other publicity and help each other's causes. Canavero was going to help promote Metal Gear Solid V Phantom Pain, and thus he was going to get uh, publicity too for his own head transplant you know, surgery he wanted to do. Um, but um, yeah, well, I came across this just today, and I was like, what? But it was from a reputable source. No, it wasn't. Shut <laughs> up. So even though Sergio Canavero's hopeful head transplanty backed out because of uh, the quite attractive woman that he managed to snag. This has not discouraged Sergio Canavero or his partner, Xiaoping Ren. They're still conducting experiments actually just a couple of months ago. They came out with a new one and uh, they seem to be building on members within the surgical and scientific community who are kind of on their side because this paper was co-authored with 15 other specialists in their areas, many of them neuroscientists. So, if you're looking to get a head transplant, you can't do it yet, but we might not be that far off. That's going to do it for episode 13. 
Keen of Where Is the Line. I'd like to thank uh, Christopher Tiny Sullivan and John Long from Earth Oddity for joining us today. No, thank y'all so much for having us because yeah. this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Thank it. you guys. If you enjoy unusual news stories and if you'd like to hear those stories related to you by a pair of hilarious Alabamians, you can't do much better than Earth Oddity. They're omnipresent in the world of podcasts, so search for them on your favorite app and they will be there. They release new episodes every week and I wasn't lying when I said that I never miss one. If you enjoy our show, Where is the Line? Maybe leave us a review. Reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook or send us an email at info at whereistheline.net. That's what these exceptional people did. Caleb writes, Hey Kevin and Sam, Let's start by saying I love your show. You guys go over some super weird things that I really love. I'm actually not from America. I'm from South Africa, so I don't think I could get a coffee mug anytime soon. I came across your show whilst I was looking for information on Michael Taylor, and the podcast immediately felt homely. I immediately got a bag of chips, opened Facebook, and scrolled while listening. That was on Sunday night. It's Wednesday now, and I've listened to all of your podcasts on Spotify. Amazing work. I love the amount of detail that goes into the research, like with the triple ripple butt plug and the <laughs> BME Pain Olympics. My favorite episode was the one about Catherine Knight. Anyways, I'm babbling now. Love the good work between Sam and you, and I hope to hear Jamie again in the future. P.S. You might want to look into the life of Dr. Joseph Mengele. It'll make for an interesting future episode. Hey, that was awesome. Thank you, Caleb. I'm so excited to have someone from South Africa listening to our show. That's just amazing. I know. Me too. Uh, I feel bad that I couldn't send Caleb a coffee mug. I did get his address, though, and I sent him some stickers. Uh, I hope they made it, Caleb. I'm not sure that we'll do a show on Joseph Mengele, but I was talking with Caleb, and he let me in on a South African story that I am actually very interested in looking into. You'll have to wait to find out what that is, though. Caleb, if you're listening, don't tell anybody about that thing we talked about. Yeah, Caleb, be quiet. We actually got two really good suggestions since the last episode. The other one came from Mike from Nebraska, and that's all I'm going to say about it, but thanks, Mike from Nebraska. Both Caleb and Mike's suggestions are now in our folder of show ideas. They certainly are. Our next correspondence comes from R. R writes, Hey, somebody must have a link to this prego porn that's so incredibly hot. (laughs) Where is the line is very close to the perfect podcast. I love it. Keep that shit up. Wow. Thank you so much, R. You are the perfect listener. His question about the prego porn was in reference to something Samantha said in episode 12 about a particular video that she enjoys during her alone time. Yes, and R, I am carefully considering telling you what that might be. But as of now, it seems a little too intimate. Maybe if you just told us a site that we could go to and maybe some search terms that might get us there. Oh, I can absolutely do that. Oh. Go to X Hamster, mm-hmm. which is my favorite site. And you might be able to find it by just typing in Japanese prego porn and put hotel room. <laughs> Everybody's going to be able to find it now for sure. I actually <laughs> replied to Caleb and I told him, I've been asking Samantha what this video is. And I told Caleb, I was like, like, if she tells me, I'm going to tell you. So, he will. <laughs> and I have not told Kevin yet. <laughs> this next correspondence is from Ben. Ben writes, hey, great show. I'm on episode three. I had heard both Travis the Chimp and Catherine Knight on last podcast on the left. So a new subject is always interesting. All I'm curious about, though, at the moment, is your theme song. Who is it by? And do they have more music? I got back in touch with Ben to let him know that he could listen to Monster Party by Jim 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 in its entirety, along with the rest of the album on Spotify 
Spotify, and you can too. If you'd like one of those old-timey compact discs, though, you can buy one from our website, whereistheline.net. Our last email is an older one that we didn't get to last time because we were too excited about all of the voicemail messages that we had gotten. Oh, yes. This is from Adriana. Adriana writes, Hey, Kevin, thank you for the reply and the shout-out on the podcast. I checked my spam folder and found your response. Samantha is absolutely fantastic and has a wicked sense of humor. She is a great addition to an already fantastic show. Congrats on 11 episodes. I'm anxiously awaiting episode 12. Thank you. I told Adriana after I got that that Samantha would be absolutely glowing when she read it, and she was. I certainly was. It's absolutely what I needed to hear. Thank you. I forwarded that to you, and I think you sent me like an entire paragraph reply. I did. About how happy you were about that email. I was super stoked. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Adriana. And you have now been shouted out twice. (laughs) Finally, we got a voicemail. This is Amber's second time calling in. Keep them coming, Amber, and we'll keep playing them. Hey, Kevin and Samantha, it's Amber in Alabama again. And I almost forgot to call you guys, but I remembered it when I was just laying here thinking about things. And I think we should come up with, you know, you said, come to Tuscaloosa, come to T-Town, and we have a drink and talk about disgusting things. But we got to come up with a drink called Where's the Line? And that drink has to push the line of where is the line. And when we drink the where is the line drink, we'll discuss your eyebrows and mine too because they are crazy. Love you guys. Love your podcast. I'm sorry I sound so very, very white trashy, but I'm really not. We're going to trademark and patent a where is the line drink and it's going to look bloody and disgusting but it's going to taste like the nectar of the gods bye i love the idea of having a where is the line drink oh my goodness amber sounds a little tipsy to me in that voicemail yeah i think she was really (laughs) feeling herself (laughs) i Uh, think that might be the first time someone has drunk dialed where is the line <laughs> she was probably just tired, but if she did drunk dial us, I love that. I do too. She's delightful. So next time you get shit-faced, pull your phone out and dial 386-227-7848. That spells out something, doesn't it? Dumb ass tit. I feel like our listeners, much like ourselves, might enjoy to turn the bottle up every now and then. Yeah. So the next time you have one too many, be sure to dial 386-227-7848. What does that spell again? Dumb ass tit. And Amber, if you're listening, we're ready for that drink whenever you are. Just come to Tuscaloosa. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Speaking of getting a drink, I finally found someone to grab around with while I'm in Orlando next month. Oh. Corey lives near there and has indicated to me that we can hang out together while I'm down there. Oh my gosh, you finally found someone to drive your around. I'm so excited. I'll be in Orlando from August 12th to the 16th, so if you live nearby or if you happen to be going to Podcast Movement this year, let me know. I sent Corey a mug and she sent us back a fantastic photo that you can see on our website or on our Facebook group. I was really excited about that. Thanks for that, Corey. And I'll see you next month, unless you get creeped out by me before then, which I could understand. No hard feelings if that happens. Yeah, it's a common occurrence. It's not that common. (laughs) As we mentioned at the top of the show, new episodes of Where is the Line will now drop on the 13th of every month. That seems like an appropriate number for our show. I think so. And one time, it might be on a Friday. Oh, (laughs) we'll have to do a special episode for that. Yes, we'll have to make sure we look at the calendar. 
That's it. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back the next time your calendar strikes 13. Goodbye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look 